0: My life on earth is full of trial But Jesus walks with me each day Someday I'll reach fair heaven's portal And I will hear my Savior say Come on in, your race is over Come on in The battle's won You fought the fight And gained the victory Oh, to hear him say My child, well done Long years ago at that old altar I let Jesus have his way I place my life In his safekeeping. keeping I long to hear him say Come on in Your race is over Come on in Battles won, you fought the fight and gained a victory. Oh, to hear him say, My child, well done. Dear center, friend, while you are drifting. Out upon life's rugged way, won't you give your heart to Jesus so you can hear the Savior say, come on in, your race is over. Come on in, the battle's won. You fought the fight and won the victory. Oh, to hear him say, My child, well done. Just to hear him say, My child, well done. (laughs)
1: of the Lord come in all shapes and sizes and sounds. Alright, as, uh, as you open your Bibles back up to the book of Nehemiah, as we look back again, we'll finish up just in looking at all this, and, and uh, if you want to, this is of course the Gospel according to Nehemiah part 2, and again that famous picture of the eastern gate I looked at several other of the old gate pictures, and they were good, but my interest was in the Word of God, not just the slideshow. So we're just going to take a look at about what the Word of God says concerning these uh, these gates. Nehemiah chapter 3 and verse 26, the Word of God says this, Moreover, the Nethims dwelt in Orphel unto the place over against the water gate toward the east and toward the Tower that lieth out. That's in verse 26. Now, the water gate is mentioned, of course, right after the gate of the fountain. And remember, we finished up there this morning talking about the gate of the fountain represents the Holy Spirit. And of course, the water gate is a little bit different. It represents the Word of God. And what's interesting is, is, if you look at it here, it's the seventh gate mentioned in Nehemiah's list here in verse 26. And uh, in looking at it, it, all the others it says, and uh, after him repaired and repaired and repaired all of these other things. But this is the only gate that did not need repairing. The number seven is closely associated with this being the seventh gate mentioned. And uh, so being representative of the Word of God, folks, the Word of God cannot be improved. It cannot be changed. Now, we can change it and we can say we're improving it, but folks, you really, can we do it? No, we really can't. The Word of God is the Word of God. It is. So, in, in thinking about this, this, this is some great pictures. We talked about getting saved. We talked about coming to the sheep gate and this gate and that gate and taking out the dung gate and doing all these and confessing our sins and being filled with the Spirit and God, take me. But folks, after you get saved and after you confess your sins and after the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you, which was the fountain gate, guess what you do next? You break open the Word of God and you grow. Being the seventh gate, you know, and just, I've put here and many of you already know the number seven means perfection it means maturity it means completion the number seven is closely associated with who god (laughs) and his divine plan so guess what after you get saved and after you get filled with the holy spirit guess what you need to do crack open the word of god read it Read it, learn from it, daily Bible reading, doing taking the Word of God and using it and learning and growing from it. Matter of fact, the Word of God uh, talks about the necessity of this in Ephesians chapter five and verse twenty-six. He says that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word. And then, of course, uh, just pretty—I love it. Matter of fact, uh, uh, many of you uh, over the years have started getting a uh, a Ryrie Study Bible, and and I like it. If you want to, now this is not in our slides or anything, but just go ahead and open your Bible to the Book of Psalms, chapter one, nineteen. Book of Psalms, chapter one, nineteen. Just in, many of you know about this. But it's just pretty interesting. Note, of course, it's the longest chapter in the whole Bible. But Psalm 119 talks about the Word of God. And did you know that in all of this, and matter of fact, if you if y'all who have a Ryrie Study Bible, if you look at your note down there at the bottom on Psalm 119, it gives you some interesting facts. It says that there's ten different words, synonyms used for the Word of God. Words like uh, commandment and judgment and precept and statute and testimony. Word, uh, all of these things are synonyms for the Word of God. And did you know of all the 176 verses, all of them except three verses talk about the Word of God. All from, so if you take away 176 minus three, 173 places that it talks about the Word of God. And so all of this, and one of the ones I wanted to mention is, if you if you look at Psalms 119, just look at verse nine. What does it say? Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereunto, according to thy word? And then Psalm 119:89 it says. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. So, folks, the water gate represents the Word of God. Let's move on to the next one, which is, uh, of course, back in Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 28. It talks about the horse gate. The horse gate. Hmm, what is this talking about? And this is very interesting that all of these things take place in the order that they take in. So... The first six gates talk about, number one, what was the very, very pop quiz. Pop quiz, Miss Barbara. You ready? What was the very first gate I mentioned this morning? The sheep gate. The sheep gate. And she knew that off the top of her head. And the, but it is. And what we alluded to, coming to know Jesus as our Savior, right? And because He is the sheep that was slain before the foundation of the world, and then we started seeing how, isn't it interesting how God led Nehemiah to when he listed the gates in the order, that's kind of neat how it paralleled the Christian life. And remember the last one I dealt with this morning, of course, after you uh, walk through the valley in humility and then you uh, confess your sins and then you ask Jesus to save you because the Holy Spirit comes in. A lot of these things happen simultaneously, but then you grow from the Word of God. And folks, after you grow from the Word of God... The Horse Gate, of course, is speaking about being a warrior for the Lord. And guess what? When you learn God's Word, then you can tell it to others. And being a warrior for the Lord means that I'm willing to talk to people about Jesus. I'm willing to go to war. Now, our war is not MMA, okay? Our war is not saying, I'm ready to get in a boxing ring. I'm ready to get into a mixed martial arts, which is the greatest uh, uh, thing going on in in the Deal. Not that I'm a big MMA fan, but that's so popular right now. But so believers are engaged in a spiritual warfare. So once I get the Word of God, then I can go to war. In Ephesians chapter 6, the very famous passage there about warfare. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against Other believers? No. That you may be able to stand against crooked co-workers? No. We may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle our battles not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. These are are all, if you do a study on this, it's very interesting. The word principalities, powers, and rulers of darkness are actually hierarchies of demonic spirits. Did you know that there's generals and sergeants and corporals in demon ranks? Did you know that? If you ever do a study on that, you'll find that out. And some of them, God's held in a place of reservation until the time, right time of judgment. Some demonic spirits God is holding back. Of course, the most famous one in the book of Revelation is the one called Apollyon, and his name means destroyer, and he's not even been let loose yet. And also Second Timothy chapter two, verse three says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So what are we? What are we supposed to be? Good soldiers of Jesus Christ. And then it goes on to say, No man that wareth entangle himself with the affairs of this life. I kind of got tickled this afternoon uh, while relaxing a little bit that there was a missionary, and it's appropriate who did this. There was a missionary. That responded on Facebook that all about uh, different uh, preachers and uh, leaders in our ABA church that took off today for the Little Rock Marathon. There, there was a Little Rock Marathon today, and several ABA preachers and, and workers took off from church to go run in the marathon, and uh, and so you know and. Listen, if a fellow takes, you know, and I've done the same thing, if a fellow takes a Sunday off and he wants to go and y'all take a day off and y'all are sitting on a a KOA campground in Alabama. And that's between you and the Lord. And I think what these Christian co-workers did was between them and the Lord and uh, running a marathon on a Sunday. But it's interesting that Guess who commented that he just didn't understand? A missionary in Africa. Which kind of stands to reason, you know, because a missionary in Africa is really, or anywhere, is an example of somebody who's really sold out, right? Not that you can't be sold out here in the U.S. But what does this verse right here say? No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. Which tells me this that if you choose to be a Christian sometimes you may you know, we we straddle the fence every now and then and what the world does. Does that make sense? What the world does and what we're supposed to be doing as a Christian and like, well, what do we do? But and uh so I, I can understand where he's coming from. I can also understand somebody just taking off one Sunday and Maybe being a witness to somebody, because I know there's Christians that play football on Sunday, like NFL players. I know that they have church before the ball games and different things like that. I've read about they have chapel services. There's a lot of NFL teams that have chapel services before the football games on Sunday. And guess what? It's voluntary. You don't have to go. Just like church. And let me say this, there's probably a lot of hypocrites in those church, in those chapel services, but guess what, there's also a lot of hypocrites in a lot of churches too. So it doesn't matter whether it's churches or chapel day services in the NFL. The main thing is, is is your heart right with God? Is your heart right with God? Does that make sense? So let me go ahead and say this. If you see somebody doing something that you don't approve of on Sunday, Number one, let's take care of our own heart first before we go to chastising others about what they do on a Sunday. And uh because we gotta take care of our home heart first. It's kinda of like remember our theme for revival that was our kind of unofficial theme in our prayer meeting this morning? Let revival begin in me. And then God'll take it from there. Alright. Moving on quickly. And uh, there's a verse, of course, in 1 Corinthians 16, 9 says uh, that in being a good soldier, there's an effectual door open unto me, but there's also many adversaries. Paul had many adversaries. And then the next gate that we come to is the most famous gate of all, of course, in Nehemiah chapter 3, and that is the eastern gate. You know, I've already seen a picture of it. This fills us with, you know, thinking about excitement about Jesus Christ coming back in verse 29, it says that the eastern gate was repaired, okay? And uh, he was the keeper of the eastern gate. Remember also we talked about the Word of God as the only one that didn't need repair, and it's not mentioned that it repaired anyway. And uh, some have confused the east gate with the golden gate. Those are different gates. And uh, Nehemiah after Nehemiah 3.29, we talk about also the east gate was the very first one opened in the mornings, which makes sense. And... Uh, now, these, all these gates that, are, that Nehemiah repaired, I want you all to know this, that none of those gates are in existence today. All of the old city wall and the gates that are mentioned uh, that you see today in Jerusalem were built in the 1500s, again by the Ottoman Empire. But nevertheless, the eastern gate, one of these days the Bible says Jesus Christ is going to return and it's closed right now if you go over there. They knew about the Scripture where it said the Messiah would return and come through the eastern gate. So you know what all the Muslims did? Because the Muslims have been around 600 A.D., okay? That's whenever Muhammad came along in the 600s A.D. So it's been 1,300 years, basically, since Muhammad. And they bricked up the eastern gate, and then they planted a Muslim graveyard right in front of the eastern gate to try to keep Jesus From coming again. And this is the famous scripture. It's found in Ezekiel chapter 43 verses 1 through 5. The very famous scripture about Jesus coming back through the eastern gate. Afterward, he brought me out, brought me to the gate. Even the gate that looks toward the east. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east. And his voice was like the noise of many waters, and the earth shined with his glory. Verse 3 states, And it was according to the appearance of the vision which I saw, even according to the vision that I saw that came in to destroy the city, the visions uh, like the vision that I saw by the river Chebar, and I fell upon my face. Verse 4, And the glory of the Lord came in un by the way, into the house, by the way of the gate whose prospect is toward the east. So the Spirit took me up and brought me into the inner court, and behold the glory of the Lord built the house, which by the way, this the last time the glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God was seen was when Solomon built his temple. And the only other time it's mentioned in all the Bible is this vision that Ezekiel has in this in this chapter. Oh, by the way, when will Jesus do this? When will Jesus enter the eastern gate and go into the temple? It will be after the battle of Armageddon. After the battle of Armageddon, when Jesus comes down and He destroys the armies of the Antichrist, and then the, the timing, depending on which Bible scholar or Bible student or commentary you read, the timing of it all is it seems like there is a, a, a period of time when the glory of when this happens, when this happens, there's going the, the Ezekiel describes a millennial temple that's built, a millennial temple. And it's uh, the dimensions are totally different than the other temples that have been built. And uh, J- the Bible says this that Jesus' glory, God's glory, enters the temple which is really awesome, really cool. So the exact, uh, we know the basic order of it. We know the basic or In other words, we have the uh, tr- uh, tribulation period, and depending on your, which Bible student or preacher you listen to, the rapture occurs before the tribulation period, somewhere inside the tribulation period. At, we know the Antichrist lives. We know he attacks Israel for three and a half years. That war takes place. And we know the the name of the last battle of the tribulation period. What's it called? The Battle of Armageddon. And we know who finishes the Battle of Armageddon. It's Jesus Christ. And it's called the second coming. When he comes with his saints, and then he sets his foot down on the Mount of Olives, then after some period of time, whether it's already built or going to be built, I think it will be built later on, and in the millennial reign. And then the Bible says this occurs. The glory of God fills this millennial temple. So that's the eastern gate. And the Muslims have tried to keep us from uh, <clears throat> seeing it and using it. And if Jesus comes back, they're going to try to kill Him. Then the next gate that we come to is the very last one mentioned in Nehemiah chapter 3. <clears throat> it's called the gate Mifkad. Now that's a... That's a bold word right there. Miphcad. It's really a bold word because we're about to find out what it means. And after him repaired Malkia, the goldsmith's son, unto the place of the Nethims, unto the merchants over against the gate Miphcad, to the going up of the corner, and between the going up of the corner and the sheep gate repaired. So they've made a full circle now. They've started at the sheep gate and went all the way around to Mifkad here, and we've got two more to mention in just a second, but they're not found in chapter 3. But this Meefcad is the tenth gate mentioned, and it speaks of judgment. matter of fact, the Hebrew actually means review, registry, appointment, account. Folks, listen to me very closely. So you've grown, you've done this in the Lord, you've done that in the Lord, you've done this, you've done that. Well, guess what? Guess what the last thing all of us are going to do? Before we enter into eternity. Well, we're, yeah, we're going to die. <laughs> but guess what we'll do after we die? One, at some point in time, we're going to be judged. You're going to, that's an appointment you're going to keep. Some, there may be somebody, and don't punch your husband or your wife, there may be somebody you know that's habitually late. <laughs> I've heard, have you ever heard somebody say, well, you're going to be late for your own funeral." I can imagine, I'm sure there's been an undertaker somewhere come to a funeral and say, oh my goodness, we left the casket at the funeral home. We've got to go back and get it. I'm sure that may have happened to somebody. And that's being ultimately forgetful if you left the person back in the mortuary. And uh, they were literally late for their own funeral. I read somewhere about somebody's casket who actually got into a wreck and the casket got thrown out. And it didn't make it to their funeral either, so they were late for their own funeral. I read that in, a, in a, some sort of article, but guess what? You're not going to be late for the judgment. The judgment. The gate Mephcad. Of course, there's two judgments the Bible mentions: the judgment of the saved and judgment of the lost. The Bible says in Romans 14:12, it says, "So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God." And 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says this, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart. And then shall every man have the praise of God after the judgment. The next gate, the 11th gate, we have to go all the way over to Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 16. Nehemiah chapter 8 is one of my favorite chapters. Ezra stood up to read the Word of God. And this is not in any of our slides, but in Ezra chapter 8, verse 1, it says he stood up before the water gate and he read the Word of God. And I love it because it's the very first time you see in verse 4 a pulpit mentioned. It says a pulpit of wood made for that purpose. But this gate of Ephraim is mentioned in verse 16. And it says that... Uh, he stood in the uh, and in the street, they made all these booths and started celebrating the Feast of the Tabernacles, which you can find that, great information on that, in the street of the Watergate and in the street of the Gate of Ephraim. Now these two are closely connected. The gate uh, and apparently the intersection, this street intersects with the water gate, And so we see in chapter 8 that this is closely associated with two things. We see that it's connected with the reading of the Word of God. And a celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles. Matter of fact, if you look at the Feast of Tabernacles, it's described here in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 13 through 18. You know, they had not, matter of fact, if you look at this, they hadn't celebrated the Feast of the Tabernacles in a very long time. And it says, uh, in verse 17, it says that uh, at the very end of it, all the congregation of them that were come out again of the captivity made booze and sat under the booze. This is talking about the Feast of the Tabernacle. For since the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, unto the day had not the children of Israel done so, and there was great gladness. Folks, the next time that Israel celebrates the feast of the tabernacle, we'll see them doing it in the millennial reign. And Zechariah 14:16, this is in the millennial reign. Zechariah 14:16, this is in the, inside the millennial reign. And it can, shall come to pass that it, it. Oh, by the way, this verse that you see, whether you're looking in your Bible or on the screen, the verse that you see is. After the glory of God goes into the millennial temple. So, what What do we have? Tribulation period. At the end of the tribulation period, the battle of Armageddon. Who ends the battle of Armageddon? Jesus Christ. He wins it. We go into the millennial reign. At some point in time, the exact timing the Bible is not very clear on, what, what happens? There's a millennial temple. Okay? As, whether you... Put it right there, whether, whether they have it built. I don't think the Antichrist is building a millennial temple. I'll just go ahead and say that. I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll stake my life on that. God is not going to allow the Antichrist to build the millennial temple. He may erect a fake one, an inferior one, but there's a millennial temple that's built, and guess who goes inside of it? Jesus Christ. And I've already showed you that Scripture in Ezekiel that says He's going in the millennial. And then what do people start doing? They start going up to Jerusalem year to year celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. And this is inside the, into the thousand year reign, it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem, so in other words, a bunch of people die, shall go, they shall go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of Hosts, and to keep what? The Feast of Tabernacles. The very last gate mentioned is the prison gate. It's found in Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 39. It mentions the gate of Ephraim, the old gate, the fish gate, and all of this. And then finally, they stood still in the prison gate. And folks, the last gate mentioned in the book of Nile speaks of eternal damnation and imprisonment in the lake of fire. And folks, everyone who dies without Jesus Christ is going... To the lake of fire. What about you tonight? Did you know the Bible says that the lake of fire is a place where people go whose names are not found written in the Lamb's book of life? It says in Revelation chapter 20, And whosoever's name was not found written in the lake of fire or in the book of life, was cast in the lake of fire. I don't know how bad hell is going to be, but it's not going to be a fun place. It's going to be a place of eternal torments. As we prepare for a hymn of invitation, Father, I just bow before You, asking You to prepare our hearts to receive Your Word, that we would respond to Your Word the way Your Holy Spirit's leading us. Father, I thank You for everybody that's given their heart to You, that's saved here tonight. Thank You for letting us see in Your Holy Word how that this life is important. We need to give it to You. Father, if there's anybody that needs to be saved tonight, they've they've never prayed and asked You to save them, that they would tonight.